This episode of Tag's podcast is sponsored by Blue Chew. Stay harder, longer. Chew it and do it. Your first order is free. Go to bluechew.com and use our promo code TAGS, T-A-G-S, at checkout. It's bluechew.com. Well, I'm very excited today because on TAG's podcast, whenever we can speak to someone who is a positive influence in our gay sexuality, and this guest is no exception, Uh, he is the owner of Slammer. It's a gay sex club out in Los Angeles. Uh, Say hello, or hello, Michael John Horn. How are you? Hey, I'm I'm good, Steve. How are you? Very good, very good. Um, You're out in L.A., correct? Correct. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So um, I really wanted you on the show because you are, like I said, uh, the owner of Slammer. It's in uh, Los Angeles. It's a gay men's private membership social club. And we'll get into what all that means. Uh, You are the former owner of Slammer by the same name in Fort Lauderdale, which you sold. And for some old timers like myself, when I lived in L.A., I used to go to your dance club, MJ's, which I believe was in Silver Lake. It, 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 it was. Yes, it, yes, it was. Um, that was my dance club back in the middle, uh, mid-2005, you know, 2006. And you've, I've had uh, many, I wanted to personally thank you because you were responsible for some really amazing sex moments for myself and you've brought (laughs) a great orgasm several times. So thank you for that, uh, just to get that out of the way. Um, We're going to get into what it's like to um, your story on how you decided to open one and all the trials and tribulations that are around that. And I really talked with you offline the other day and your story. And I think that's what we can always attest to. It's always about the story and yours is by no exception. Fascinating. Um, Let's just get started. You grew up in one of my favorite cities of all time, Mexico city. How did that happen? Yeah. yeah. You're a, a New Yorker at heart, right? Or Brooklyn initially. I, well, yes, I am. I'm, I was born in Brooklyn in 1950, and my parents moved to Mexico City when I was four months old. So uh, basically, my first language was Spanish, and I was raised uh, in Mexico City until the age of about 20. Um, and uh, my dad passed away in 1974, and then... Uh, my dad was in the flavoring business. He was a chemist and made flavorings for chocolates and candies and all, all that kind of stuff in Mexico. Um, I moved to L.A. Uh, circuitously uh, in 1975. But I was coming up to L.A. in the late 60s. So I was hanging out on the strip, you know, in 67, 68, when it was crazy there. Um, I had a, I I would stay with my aunt and uncle who were artists living near the sunset strip. And, uh, so I was sort of brought out by my cousins, uh, drug wise, uh, (laughs) meaning marijuana and, and, uh, uh, you know, all those sixties drugs. Yep. Well, one of the things that struck me that I had no idea, you told me offline the other day that you were a gopher for Norman Lear, correct? And correct. Yeah. Norman Lear, um, people can know him. He's 97. And the, ra- the way that so many of us can know about him now is they're bringing back, I think they're calling it on ABC or one of the networks live in front of a studio audience, uh, Jimmy Kimmel's uh, working with Norman Lear to redo All in the Family, which was Norman Lear's iconic show. They did The Jeffersons. They recently redid The Good Times. So he's known one for Sanford yeah. and Son, One Day at a Time, one of my favorites, even another one that people might know, Maude. And you will know Maude if you ever watch The Golden Girls because it was Dorothy. Right. And so anyways, can we just talk about briefly being uh, working with Norman Lear? Okay, I I didn't work 
directly with Norman Lear. I worked as a gopher in his executive offices, which uh, his, you know, the, the guy that led uh, the company that Norman owned, which at the time was uh, Tandem TAT, was headed by Alan Horn. He had two offices, Norman did. He had his his offices at Century City, and then he had uh, uh, the um, the other executive office was at Metro Media, which is on Sunset and um, Van Ness. So um, I worked in the office under Alan Horn, working in the executive office, uh, you know, just doing anything and everything that needed to be done. Uh, which meant at that point, uh, running scripts to the actors in Bel Air or the actors everywhere throughout LA. In your early years as a gay young male, you started bartending all over Los Angeles and places like, um, I think you told me the gauntlet and you, what was it about bartending in that era? And I know you told me that you were really struck with being the leather scene and becoming a leather man. How did that all unfold? I, I really wasn't going to get anywhere working for Norman Lear because I, I'm not a writer. I wasn't a writer then. And I, and, and really, if you wanted to get ahead in writing, you would work for Norman Lear. That was of the, course. Oh, unless you got into production. So uh, I got a bartending job in, in this little teeny little disco across from Yukon Mining Company uh, back in 1983, um, just bartending. I didn't even know how to bartend. But anyway, <laughs> I was, I was, I got to say, I, I was always sort of a alley, uh, an alley gay man. But I, resourceful, I loved, but resourceful. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I just like to hang out in alleyways and 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 <laughs> and, uh, and sort of the seamy side of gay sex, um, which it got its start in Mexico City before I when I when I sort of came out in Mexico City, which was in 1967, 68. I was always going to movie theaters to, to fuck around in the bathrooms because there was really nowhere to go in Mexico city for gay stuff. I mean, it was very underground. Um, so when I moved to LA, um, long story short, I, I, uh, I bartended at hot shots, which is this little crazy little dance bar with lots of drugs and everything like that. And then I got a job as a bar back at a bar called the pits, which was a leather bar on Santa Monica Boulevard and El Centro, but a block east of Vine. That was about 1985. So we're talking now AIDS coming into the picture. Uh, and I was barbacking at that time when we were so scared of AIDS that guys that would come into the bar would not have an alcoholic drink out of a glass. They, they would only drink out of a bottle because at that point, 84, 85, we didn't know how, you know, we didn't know how it was transmitted really. Um, so we were kind of, you know, um, kind of paranoid about, you know, what, you know, what we were going to do. So that was a big scare there. So, um, after working at the, at the pits, uh, for, I, I think it's, Three years, three or four years, uh, I moved to the gauntlet. Uh, and these are leather bars where you had to work in chaps and boots. I mean, if you didn't have chaps and boots, you couldn't work there. Uh, and also women were not, uh, back at the pits, women were not allowed in. And not only that, but uh, we couldn't play disco music either. It had to, wow. really, it was crazy. It just, they... Leather bars were, they, they, my manager there was very, you know, specific about motorcycles, boots, and chaps, you know, and that was sort of the big thing. And um, I loved it uh, because my inclination sex-wise sex was very theatrical. I mean, I just loved, you know, the the dressing up, the the, the intrigue of, of uh of role play and stuff like that. So 
uh, that fit right into my, I guess, my alley, my gay alley uh, viewpoint of, of sex. Uh, eventually, uh, Gauntlet 2 became like the main leather bar. There were others like the One Way and the, before that, Larry's uh, on Melrose and Griff's. So, uh, and there's a point when you shared with me, and I want you to—I w- can't wait to get into when you opened and pitched your first sex club. Um, but I'm just curious, real quick, before we get into that, you talked about Mexico City and how sex for you was going to the theaters and regular th- movie theater movie houses, correct? Like that showed, you know, primetime yeah. films, right? And I'm of a age that I like that kind of sex too. I like sex clubs and I'm also theatrical and, and have, you know, run for uh, Mr. Leather, but I like all that. Um, do you think that that is a part of how you approached opening your businesses? Because, you know, today people go on the apps and everything else, but it's not as theatrical at all. In fact, it's just pretty direct. Um, can you just talk a little bit about how that shaped maybe how you wanted to be a business owner with this type of business? Okay. For me, sex was always about the mystery, always about who's going to be around that corner, uh, about where am I going to end up tonight? Um, and who am I going to meet and where is it going to lead to? And so it's about the mystery, which is to me, is fascinating because we all have a sex drive and, and, uh, but a lot of, a lot of gay men have a regular sex drive, you know, where, you know, you just, you know, you're thinking of dick and ass and, um, you, you know, you're thinking about, um, you know, just fucking and, and sucking and stuff like that. I was always, and I have always been more about, I guess the, not the accessories, but just all that mysterious other stuff that comes with, with, um, with the whole sex, um, drive. So, um, at, and at the gauntlet, you can, at the gauntlet too, you can imagine that, you know, we, we dealt with a lot of guys in leather and kink. And, um, so getting around, to the club, the sex club. Uh, I was going to sex clubs. There were a bunch of sex clubs in LA that were not legal. They, and they weren't legal because sex clubs are regulated by zoning. And, uh, uh, the city of LA did not want these clubs around, uh, uh, neighborhoods that had, you know, that were homes and schools. And schools and, yeah. So these clubs, there was, these clubs were illegal. They would just find these little industrial buildings and stuff like that, and, and they would just pop up. Um, so I found myself, one, that the owners of the bar that I worked at, the Gauntlet 2, these, these five or six old geezers, I call them, <laughs> uh, owned this little building. And I said, why don't we just open a club, a sex club there? And uh, it's right next door to the bar. Uh, which was great because you can't, there's very few clubs that have liquor. Actually, there's, I'm saying very few because the sex club clubs. I, I have in, um, yeah, the sex club in, in Fort Lauderdale is a bottle bar. So that one, you could, you can still have liquor there under the bottle bar rule. These are old licenses from the 70s that are grandfathered that are not about to change (laughs) that. No, they're not. Hopefully not. Uh, back to the gauntlet too. So I opened a club called Nighthawk, which was right next door. So when you just, just curious, when you, you're working at the gauntlet too, you are, you like the sex clubs, you pitch it to these guys, the owners are, are they game? Like, sure, let's do it. Even knowing that, there was an illegality to some of these underground sex clubs. Yeah. These guys were, 
these guys were like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'd like to say gay mafia, but I mean, they weren't mafia. You know, they weren't mafia like we right. pictured. But these guys had been in, in the bar business for many, many years. They owned the Falcon's Lair, which I don't know if you remember back in the, I think it was the late 70s. No, the, I'm sorry. The, yeah, maybe the late 70s. The Falcon Lair was a leather bar that got closed down by LAPD because they were having slave. They were, they were selling slaves at the bar. They were having these, these um, contests where, you know, you could bid on a slave. Like a BDSM and slave, you, we're talking, <laughs> to be clear, correct? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was fun. I mean, right. it, was, it, it was, so it wasn't sex slave like... Uh, Human trafficking. Or, but, but they yeah. were shut down because that's not allowed. I mean, you know, anyway, even though it was playtime... Um, so these guys that own the Falcon Lair and then the Gauntlet and then the Gauntlet too, uh, I convinced them to open a sex club next door. And it was a small sex club that was really cool, and it was competing against two or three other sex clubs that were in the area, meaning in Silver Lake. Um, but, and but uh, I would imagine the, be- get- the beauty of it was you could go drink at the Gauntlet too, right, and have fun there, and then you could pop over next door and to right. this other space. And what was the name of the, this club that you started next door? It, uh, it started as Nighthawk and it went on for a couple of years as Nighthawk. And then the owners basically gave me the bit. They didn't want to deal with it anymore. They were going to sell the bar and they didn't want the, the, the license encumbered by an illegal sex club. So to speak. So they said, "Look, you go ahead and run with the cl- the, the club. Change the name of it. We don't want to be associated with it. Change the name from Nighthawk to Prowl, uh, and that lasted about a year and a half. Still, still a illegal a um, sex club, correct? Still illegal. So we kept on getting busted by by the cops, uh, uh, by a lady detective and a building and safety um, inspector." who would come around and issue us orders to comply. These were like tickets that you didn't, you didn't pay a fine. They, they were just warnings that they were going to shut us down. So, so when they come on, in, when they come in, and it's interesting that it was these two, when they come in, do they make you shut down? So I imagine, you know, somebody's getting fucked in a sling over here and someone's on their knees over here. Are they coming in with a permit no, that says shut was, everything down? Or are they just looking for you to say, okay, here's a warning? And yeah, da-da-da. no, it's curious because they never shut me down. Uh, they would just scare so, us. And uh, so fucking continued. Official, <laughs> yeah. Good. And, and then we would, <laughs> We would get close to being shut down, and then we would change the use. We would, we would, we would uh, make it at a, a doctor's office, or or we would make it a church, or we would make it uh, an art gallery. Or, <laughs> I mean, we went through these iterations of, of when you what s- the when, use when was. you say you make it a doctor's office or an art gallery, it's you're still talking about the same space, correct? You just correct put it out there that now we're this or in the in the yellow pages or whatever it was, and to seem like a legitimate business? Sort of, yeah. Now, we did get into trouble a few times, especially the doctor's office thing, because uh, we we had a doctor uh, that we knew that uh, would come to the club, so he said, yeah, I'll sign off on it. And, and, you know, he got into a lot of trouble because uh, they were going to take his his license away, his, uh, and he had to go to court. That, that, that really got hairy there for a while, but, but fortunately he got through it and, and, uh, and we, you know, bailed on being a doctor's office real quick. Um, so at what point does this become too much for you trying to run Nighthawk or, and then turned into Prowl where the pressure of this woman and then this code enforcer becomes, too much where you could right. actually get in trouble. At what point does, do you start to feel the heat? Well, I just sort of got to the point and, uh, that I, I, when they came in at one point and I said, you know, 
you guys keep on coming in and trying to shut me down. I mean, can't you help me open a legal club? And uh, they said, well, yes, we can. I mean, we can help you, sure, if you can find a building. And I said, well, can you help me navigate finding a building that would fit your concept? Uh, of a uh, sex club. Look at or, you. I uh, love the, uh, this side of yourself. <laughs> and I, I know you told me offline. I, I love this side, how your proactive side of doing this. And I know you told me offline that, you know, your mother was an attorney. I mean, I guess some of this stuff was kicking in with you, right? The business side. Right. My mother was in the, one of the first attorneys in L.A. And also my dad was a small business man uh, who I learned to uh, when I helped him in his lab and and in his office, uh, I learned that small businesses are great. That that you know you can work with a small business and you can make it grow. So um, with that, I uh, I figured okay, I want to stay in this business because I really like it. Because I'm not you know a sex club is great for many different reasons, but one of the main reasons is that, you know, men pay you to come in and you're not really selling anything other than space, you know, Correct. For, for them to fool around. I mean, there, there's odds and ends, but the thing, but that's the basic thing. So I, so I thought, okay, I got to make this legal. So they, I got kind of simpatico with, with these two, uh, these were the two main people who would go around issuing orders to comply to all the sex clubs, which at that point were one, two, three, four. I think there were four in Silver Lake. Um, so we rode around. Uh, at, at one point, we rode around in a van that was a, an LAPD van. I mean, it was it was a trip because wow. So you're actually yeah. now working with these people who have given you permits to shut you down that now you're in cahoots with, I love. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was really fun. We, you know, we had lunch. I mean, they were really cool. And the, the, so uh, long story short, it, it was about two or three weeks, and we located a bu- they located a building with me, uh, and they said that building – would probably work. So I said, okay. Um, that didn't mean that I could just open a club there. I had to go to the, I, I had to buy the building because I, I wasn't about to, it was for sale. And um, it had to be 500 feet from a school church and park. And it was 550 feet, about 550 feet from a school. So I just barely cleared the, the uh, you know, the whole uh, requirements, uh, that... yeah, the zoning deal. Uh, so I bought the building without knowing if I could really open a club. And then I went to work with the city. And I had a really good friend of mine who really helped me because he, he was working in the planning department and, and he knew the deal. So, um, so I. What do you ultimately call this place when you finally open it? I came up with Slammer because the door that that opened would slam shut, and uh, it didn't have anything to do with you know drugs or slamming or, or anything. It was it, it was more like I think my I think my ex came up with that name because uh, he said the. the the door's always slamming when you're, the, your construction guys are going in and out. Call it Slammer. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool, kind of like a jail. Um, exactly. That's what I was thinking, jail, right. So, uh, yeah, so I came up with Slammer, and I started working the city for an adult, adult use. And, um, boy, that was a trip because, you know, I, I designed blueprints for the building, uh, but I had to get them approved by various different departments at the city. Um, and like, for example, you know, I had to get an approval from the, uh, AD, from the ADA, the disability department. And I took the blueprints to this older Korean man who headed the AD, the ADA, um, section of the city. And he said, uh, 
what is this? And I said, well, it's, it's, it's a social club. And, and, and he said, well, what are these little boxes? And I said, well, those are cubicles. And he said, what, what kind of cubicles are these? Why do you have these? And I said, well, it's little cubicles where men meet. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? And I, I said, well, they, they meet in these little cubicles and they get to know each other. Intimately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he goes, I don't understand. And I said, well, this is a club where men go to get to, uh, acquainted and, and have sex. There, you and, said it. <laughs> you know, yeah. And so he was looking at it from the point of view of access, you know, he, you know, and, and, uh, I had the hallways all, you know, uh, uh, wheelchair accessible, all that. But, uh, anyway, he approved it. I can't remember. I mean, he was really, he said, I never knew there was a use, uh, of this kind. Um, but there, but there is, it's called sexual encounter establishment. Um, I so, love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, different departments, different people, different women, different men, uh, all sort of not knowing what the hell I was building. Uh, but eventually, it took, you know, it took me about a year to build out, and I opened it, and within a year of opening, they shut down all, all the other illegal sex clubs. Wow. Uh, I guess you yeah, set a precedent. I guess, yeah, I guess because at that point they figured, okay, now that there is a legal one that fits all the parameters and right. all that, and there was one other sex club in town called the Zone, um, which I had found that building as well. Uh, but the guy I, went, I was going to go into business with, he kind of ran with it and. Um, and good for him because I, I was too green to, and I was too insecure to, to go with opening that one. Um, and that club is still open. Uh, it is, it is. Um, Michael, I want to take a quick break because I want to hear once you got it up and running, I want to hear some more of these stories. Uh, I just want to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor and more okay. with Michael John and the owner of Slammer in just a second. Hey, it's your buddy Steve here, and it might be cuffing season, right? Well, if that's true, don't you want to last longer in bed and go extra rounds with your boo or that tried and true buddy? I know I do, and that's why I love Blue Chew. Blue Chew has the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it can be taken on a full or empty stomach. It comes in this little nifty packet that I carry with me whenever my buddy has some extra time to visit me or when I'm out and about and I get a text to head on over. With Blue Chew, I'm always ready and I'm always confident. The online physician consult is totally free, so it's cheaper than those other two, and it only takes a few minutes to connect with a Blue Chew affiliated physician. And if you qualify, you get prescribed online quickly. No waiting in line on a pharmacy or scheduling another doctor's visit. Blue Chew comes in discreet packaging to your doorstep. So what are you waiting for? Get your first order free as a TAGS podcast listener. Go to bluechew.com, use our promo code TAGS, T-A-G-S, at checkout. Chew it and do it this cuffing season. Hey, we're back and more in just a second with my interview with Michael John Horn of Slammer out in Los Angeles. I hope you're enjoying this interview as much as I am for its sex positivity. Just a reminder, I want to uh, thank all the new Patreon members that have come on aboard in my commitment this year to give you extra special sexy perks every single week. They'll come in different ways. Last week, they came in the form of Dark and Dirty, our extra exclusive after show podcast, where I talked about the time I was with Austin Wolf. I hired him and You'll just have to listen if you want to become a Patreon member. And that's really only at the $10 level. We have everything from $5 all the way on up. This week, there's a sexy throwback Thursday pick coming your way on Thursday. And a little bit later, Friday will be, uh, I'm going to describe, show you our Adam's Toy Box 
toy of the month that I'm talking about. It's the Man Squeeze. I'm going to give you my review on video and show you how it works. And then at some tiers, I'm going to show you exactly it in action. All you got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash talk about gay sex. Again, thank you for supporting Tag's podcast at whatever tier works best for you. It's patreon.com forward slash talk about gay sex. Let's get back into my interview with Michael John of Slammer. We are back with Michael John Horn. He is the owner of Slammer out in Los Angeles, the former owner of Slammer in Fort Lauderdale, which is still around. And of course, MJ's in Silver Lake, which was one of my favorite spots when I used to live in LA. Um, So Michael John, you know, I just have to, before we go on with your story, I mean, at this point, if you're just joining us, you are telling your story about how you uh, opened up a sex club, pitched it to some guys where you worked at the gauntlet too. You open up an illegal sex club, which was sort of the practice at the time. And now you keep getting kind of notices from uh, a couple different people in NYPD Blue, but they you work with them in cahoots to, I mean, which is great, to open up a legal sex club, Slammer. Um, before we get into more of that, I'm just curious, as somebody that liked going frequenting sex clubs yourself, What's it like to own one? Because I don't think I like to frequent sex clubs, but I think I would be dipping into going into back rooms every night. And I think it would probably not for me personally, I don't think I could handle it. How did you make sense of that for you with your love of sex? Well, clubs? That was the and, most you know, fun. Yeah. I mean, the most fun is to build your own club. I mean, any any club that you're going to build is going to be the most fun. It's the scariest, but it's the most fun because you're designing it. And um, I had been to enough sex clubs and all of that to design the club, to know what the flow would be and, and what the mysterious corners, because it's like a maze. And then there's a blowjob area and there's slings and Glory all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I love that. And then, of course, uh, at that point, I was single. So um, I was testing out every booth, you know. <laughs> as you should, as a good business owner <laughs> would do. Slut that I am. But I, I just <laughs> want to stop to say that I was not in cahoots with, with uh, LAPD. Bad word, for, um, bad word on me. I yeah, didn't mean it that did, way. They, yeah, it wasn't that. No, um, and I meant I didn't it, mean any disrespect with that. And um, no, that's okay. Poor choice in words. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so, for clearing that. I, I would imagine, you know, how fascinating it is to create your own bar in your own imagery. But and of course, you want to test it all out. You said you were single. Did you find a fine line of knowing when to play yourself? And when to be business owner? How did all that work out for you? That's an interesting question. Um, there was no fine line. It just all was <laughs> one thing. I mean, I was I was a slut, and at the same time, I was trying to be a smart businessman. But you know what so, I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Like. I could yes. just imagine doors open and you're like, hmm, let me go over into this nook and cranny and and, and I'm getting my dick sucked. And, and Charlie at the front desk needs help with a trans, you know, something going on. And it's like, oh, well, hold on. Let me go find him. Uh, Michael John. He's just getting his dick sucked. But well, you know what I mean? <laughs> How did you balance I that? I do know what you mean. Um, I had a really good manager and I had a couple of managers. I had because when you're in the bar business, um, and and you're in that kind of a milieu. I mean, you know, you're uh, you find good people to work for you. And uh, and I had a couple. I was very fortunate. I had really good people that um, worked for me in the beginning. So. Uh, I would go to the club to see how things were going, and then I would sneak in and and you know follow a really hot guy in and uh, and like that. Um, but then I'd get home and it was business, you know, it was uh, of course getting the paperwork and uh, and making sure that the club was 
successful. Um, and then what did you learn by setting a new precedent of a sex club working with the proper permitting, knowing that other sex clubs were getting shut down because they weren't following, say, the guidelines and rules? Uh, what did you learn about working with the city of L.A. that you can share with us and, you know, both good, bad and and everything else? So I learned that basically there was two issues at the time that were paramount to opening a club like this. One is the zoning. The zoning is extremely important because there's a lot of a, a lot of uh, ifs. Like, you know, you have to be 500 feet from a residential area, from a school, from a park. You have to be 1,000 feet from another adult business. And then the second important issue is parking, because in Los Angeles, any business that you open has a certain amount of parking that has to go with the business. So I learned that it wasn't necessarily that I was opening a sexual encounter establishment per se, that was the, the, uh, the, the, the difficulty. It was that you have to fit into, uh, you have to fit into a, a certain, uh, um, how could I say it? You have, to, you have to fit into the way the city wants you to fit into a business. Uh, so You've got to play um, by the rules, is what you're saying. By, yeah, and every city correct. has their own rules. One thing about L.A. that's interesting to me is uh, valet. Uh, do you have valet? I'm just curious because that's... I do have valet now. You I do? Have that is crazy. A friend of mine and I laugh because the Eagle in L.A. also has valet. And, and I think it's fabulous. My friend thinks it's hilarious because, you know, the Eagle is about that whole imagery of being in you know, Leatherman and all the toughness. And, and then here you are as I go, here's take my keys and, and take the car away. We think it's so LA, but I think it's fabulous because I can go in my assless chaps and go right up to the door. Yep. Thank you for that. Steve. That's that's very (laughs) illuminating. Um, I can just picture that. Um, so, um, yeah, so the parking situation. Um, when you open a business, the city sends out a um, a notice to any business or resident that's 500 feet in diameter from your business that you want to open. So anybody can respond to that notice during a hearing and and say, uh, I don't want that, or, or uh, the city's not going to just say, "Well, just because you don't want it doesn't mean that you can't that you can say don't open the business to the person who's objecting." There has to be reasons, and the city does listen uh, to uh, com- you know not complaints, but to uh, issues that anybody within a 500 uh, foot area uh, can bring up issues. Uh, I did encounter uh, issues with uh, churches and mosques and uh, the like, which were probably two to three miles away. I did have to go to these uh, churches and mosques and try to get them to not come to the hearing and complain about my business. Uh, So I had to make them understand that what I was opening was a legal business. Uh, whether they approved of it or not uh, is another story because that the city is interested only in arguments that pertain particularly to their requirements. That's so a, that's a key a, part that you just stated because morality and what people might think about what we do or they do or anybody does. It sounds like your experience with Los Angeles as a business owner of a gay sex club has been positive. If you know, tell me I'm wrong, but because it's more, it goes down to following the guidelines and the rules. And as long as you do, and obviously the zoning is really key that 
you know, you're going to be okay. Is that a fair thing to say? Yes. Yes. It's a, it's a lot more difficult nowadays than before, uh, than 20 years ago, because 20 years ago it was easier to get parking and, and uh, it was easier to find an industrial building and all that kind of stuff. But I will move on to the point that I got very involved with LAPD after I opened my club because they were so good to me and so understanding. Uh, and, and this was after a period where LAPD was so anti-gay and we had so many problems with, with, with LAPD, especially even when I was in the bar business. I mean, it was, it was pretty tough because we had patrons that were getting beat up and not to say that they still aren't, but, but back then it was worse. So, uh, I got involved with my station, which happened to be a very difficult station, the Ramparts Division, which is notorious in Los Angeles. Police station. For having had right. police station, yeah. correct. I have found throughout my, my professional you know, business career that being in touch with the police uh, chief and captain and senior lead officer, who's like the sergeant that is involved with your area, is is really complimentary to running a good business. Um, I have a really good relationship w- with the cops, and and they know what my club is. And uh, I really like that my customers are somewhat protected in the sense that if there's ever an issue, I can go to my SLO, we call them, senior lead officer, and, and say, look, I've got this problem. Can you look into it? They always recommend that bar owners and sesame owners and, and any kind of owner, if you have a shop or whatever, I, it's just really important to keep a good rapport with your, with your station. Well, so, I want to move on too because I know you went on to move to then open Slammer by the same name out in Fort Lauderdale. Um, in between there, you opened up a dance club called MJ's, which was not a sex club, but a dance club, like I just said. And uh, what's going on in your mind? Uh, because, you know, uh, as you expand, well, evolved, you, evolved. you know? yeah, evolved, like like any good businessman. I, and I would imagine the rules of Fort Lauderdale are different, but equally challenging to opening up a sex club in that city. I looked out. I looked out with Fort Lauderdale because I had an attorney looking for a, a way to open up a, a club in Fort Lauderdale, and I couldn't find a location. Um, and and I, I wasn't even sure what I was doing, but. This attorney that I had uh, called me one day, and he said, you know, there's this straight sex club called Plato's Retreat. And I went, no, really? I said, I know that club from New York. Uh, and he said, yeah, well, there's one in Fort Lauderdale. And the, the owner died, the man, the man, the man but the, the wife is still um, running it, and she wants to sell it. And I said, I'll be right there. <laughs> I flew to Fort Lauderdale real quick, and I walked through it, and I went, "Yeah, absolutely. This is is this is it." So I bought it, and um, it's a great and, space. Uh, I've and, been to it, and I, I love it. I love the glory holes in particular, and it's it's hot. That building is amazing. I mean, it's a brick building with the with this, you know, you know, not it's not Bowen Trust, but it's got, you know, it's got a high ceiling like a Swiss, like a Swiss Alps feel inside. And I walked through that building for it only took me ten minutes to buy it. I just said yes, yes, yes. I could see the booths, I could see the alleyways, I could see the slings, I could see. I just knew it worked. And so I bought it. How many uh, years then are you running both Slammer, West Coast, East Coast, if you will, and MJ's? And what's life like running all three of these, like oh, for you? A nightmare. A nightmare. <laughs> a nightmare I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> oh, man. I have to be flying back and forth, and I don't like to fly. And, and anyway, and, and, and I'm going to throw in here and be, you know, I can say this now because I, you know, I'm sober. I mean, I, I, I don't really drink and do drugs anymore. I, I did, 
I did so many drugs, and I, I, I just I had a really good time partying, but it good just for got you. to the point. That, yeah, I'm happy to say I made it through. Did the, I made it through our Holocaust. I made it through this. So I'm a very lucky. Are you man. saying? Are you saying, Michael John, that at at a time running, going back and forth, I can only imagine trying to, you know, because. Running a business is always about your vision and finding people that can take your vision and implement it the way you see. And ultimately, you're responsible at the end of the day. But of course, in an industry that you also like, a sex club industry, did the drugs play a part in taking over in a, in a negative way, would you say? Uh, no, what happened, I mean, I said that I, I lived, I started living my life theatrically. Um, what does I that mean? This, <laughs> well, I, I, I had one successful club. I was opening another successful club in Fort Lauderdale and I found this really old bar, one of the oldest, if not the oldest bar, gay bar, uh, in existence at the time called Woody's Hyperion in, uh, in Silver Lake. And I said, I got to buy this bar and, and redo it because I see this amazing dance bar. So I, um, all of a sudden, I started seeing myself as a big hotshot impresario, uh, being very well. Taken you kind of were, myself. yeah. And I loved it, and uh, I started living like uh, I'm not going to say a gangster because I'm not I'm not a criminal, but uh, but I uh, like a just a just a club believe owner. Believe in the like, hype. Though, which, believe in the hype. <laughs> yeah, and I love I'm it. I'm not mad at but, that. I am not mad at that. Oh, <laughs> thanks. But, I mean, I, I was full of myself somewhat. I, I started seeing that I needed to abbreviate my business, that I really didn't need. And, and, and also my managers were getting confused because I, I wasn't giving them direction. So I made a series of mistakes. I sold the bar and then I, after that, I sold Fort Lauderdale. I took my losses and came back to LA and focused on having Slammer uh, run properly here. What I should have done was quit the drugs, quit the drinking and, and really focus on branding my businesses and expanding. But I didn't do that. I, I just, uh, so that was a big mistake. And uh, so MJ's, unfortunately, when I focused, uh, turned my attention to something else, it, it didn't survive. Um, and it's very sad because, well, you know, you have things change, but I mean, we have to celebrate that Slammer LA is still around. And let's talk about you now, because I know you're no longer single. You're married, happily married. Uh, you were telling me offline the other day that, you know, you don't really visit Slammer from, you know, going into the sex clubs anymore. Um, what's life like today? I got a and, great and, bunch and, of guys. I got to say, I have a great bunch of guys that run the club They're They've been with me forever. I really take care of them, and I think they completely uh, just keep my interests uh, to their heart. And I'm very grateful because I, I'm only as good as the people that work for me, and uh, and they're great guys. And I'm I'm married to a great guy. We've been together for 13 years, and within all of this business stuff that we're talking about, I wasn't act up. I had a lot of friends die. We have an amazing gay and lesbian center, the biggest in the world. Uh, and it's, it's a gem. I really feel like I'm part of the texture of the community here in Los Angeles. And this is where I live and I love it. And thank you for sharing your story really about, and being so You're honest welcome, and forthright Steve. with this. People can go to Slammer in LA and you can also visit slammerclub.com. If it's your first time going to a place like Slammer, um, I've been there myself. Anything we should know Listeners, when they when they go there, just bring an open mind and have some fun. Go with what you need. Go with allowing yourself the freedom to enjoy yourself with other men in a safe environment. Follow your heart and and follow your desire. As long as you don't hurt somebody else, 
that's what you should know. And know that we're a caring bunch of guys, you know, that are in there. You can have intimate interactions that you might not have in regular life out in the streets or in your house or somewhere else because that's what this place is for. This place is for being able to be intimate and be able to live out what you have inside your your soul and your heart and your desire and know that it's okay. It's all okay. As long as you have a partner in the club, somebody that you don't know, but that can share with you what you need and what you want, what your desire is. That's what this is for. It's also a political statement in a sense in that we're proud of what we do in there. There's no shame. And Oh, and that's what it should be all about. I love it. I love it. Michael John, will you come back on Tag's podcast? Steve, thank you for allowing me to just voice my voice. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You take care. Oh, wow. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Michael John Horn of Slammer out in Los Angeles. Just speaking his truth can't get enough of that. I want to have him back on the show. We need more stories like that. Thank you so much for listening this week. This was episode 139. Follow us always. Get show notes for anything we talk about. Visit us at tagspodcast.com. That's where you get all the updates on what is going on with us. Again, like I said before, you want to support us and we always appreciate the support. You can do it at the $5 level on up to get extra special sexy perks. Become a Patreon member or consider becoming a Patreon member. We also do free polls on there too, which we want to hear from you. Next week, we'll report on last week's poll. Um, and you can just go to patreon.com forward slash talk about gay sex. On the free level, you can participate in polls. And then if you support us to keep this show running smoothly and sexually smooth and hot, you can consider becoming a Patreon member and get extra special sexy perks. And finally, don't forget, you can get 20% off on toys at adamstoybox.com. Everything's already reduced there. They've got some extra sexy toys there. In fact, this week on Friday, you'll see a video of me demoing at different tiers. The uh, it's It's called the... Anyway, you'll see the toy that I am going to be demoing this week on Patreon. It's from adamstoybox.com. And you guys, just by listening to us, get 20% off. Simply put in promo code TAGS, T-A-G-S, at checkout. Anything on adamstoybox.com, you'll get extra 20% off by putting promo code TAGS. Thank you for listening. Next week, we've got another extra special sexy podcast here at Tags Podcast. Stay with us. We love it that you do. You can always reach us at Tags Podcast. We love to hear from you. And lastly, continue having hot gay sex.